This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend warriors of Michigan politics and government. Yes, the Rudy Giuliani did indeed visit the state capitol in Lansing this week, and he dominated a House committee for four hours Wednesday evening with testimony and questions and answers that he controlled. It got enormous news media attention in Michigan and nationally, even internationally. But what was the result? Will the legislature bow to Giuliani's will and figure out a way to award Michigan's 16 electoral votes to Donald Trump rather than Joe Biden? Folks, it's not going to happen. And legislative leaders have told the former New York mayor exactly that. They told the president the same thing in the White House last week. End of story. But a Senate committee in Lansing took seven hours of testimony on Tuesday on what was dubbed election horror stories in Detroit. And some legislation may come out of that. We'll see whether Governor Gretchen Whitmer will sign it or whether Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson approves of it. If not, well, there's an election coming up in 2022. Will firearms be banned in the state capitol, as Democrats are demanding? Not this year, for sure. The state capitol commission postponed once again any further meetings in 2020. Wait till next year, as they say. Meanwhile, the Michigan Restaurant Association lost its lawsuit in federal court to stop Governor Whitmer from the current lockdown on in-restaurant and bar dining and drinking through at least December 8th. The federal judge ruled that Whitmer's lockdown can continue, and the next question is whether she will extend that lockdown past December 8th, perhaps through the holidays into next year. Stay tuned and be prepared for more permanent closings and bankruptcies as the state's economy continues to disintegrate. Next, here's some news of a partisan nature. Former Ambassador Ron Weiser, is that name familiar? Ron Weiser, two-time with separate terms as state Republican chairman in the recent past, Ron Weiser says he is running for Michigan Republican Party chair for the 2021-2022 election cycle with conservative grassroots leader Sean Maddock. Now, is that name familiar? It should be because her husband is Matt Maddock, a state representative who was our guest on this program just a week ago. And Sean Maddock is one of President Donald Trump's strongest Michigan organizers And she will be the co-chair running mate of Ron Weiser. The Weiser-Maddock tandem believes it has commitments for more than half of the Republican district chairs, county chairs, and state committee members. 
according to an email Maddox sent to supporters earlier this week. Now, I'm going to quote here uh, from Maddox. She says, the combination of Ambassador Weiser's proven ability to fundraise with my ability to organize the grassroots will give us the strongest possible opportunity to defeat the petty tyrant Gretchen Whitmer in 2022, unquote. I'm going to quote here from the Michigan Information Research Service newsletter, MERS, as it's called. MERS says that Weiser, the state Republican Party's chair during both the 2010 and the 2018 election cycles, told MERS two weeks ago, quote, if we have the right organization and right resources in Michigan, we could sweep this state like we did in 2010, unquote. Ron Weiser was actually the only Republican on the University of Michigan Board of Regents during the past couple of years. In fact, right now, technically, he's the only one, seven Democrats on that board. Uh, He was elected in 2016. And he continues in that role, and he acknowledges there was interest in him running for a third non-consecutive term as party chair. i got to tell you, folks, that's never happened in Michigan political history for either of the two major political parties dating back to the 19th century. The current chair, Laura Cox, has sent strong signals that she would run for re-election. She's telling activists recently that, quote, this fight is not over, unquote. But with the pro-Trump-matic joining with Weiser, the path for Laura Cox has narrowed, according to MERS. Mishon Matic thanked Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani for coming to Michigan on Wednesday, but she did not embrace the strategy that Republican legislators should try to name a new slate of electors for the state of Michigan. She also did not argue that there's any way to overturn the election results to benefit Trump in Michigan. Instead, she said, and I'm going to quote again here, if we had better fundraising, a better plan for Election Day, and a better legal strategy, we could have stopped the cheating in advance. Instead, we are left to try to clean up the mess after the fact. This is unfortunate and, frankly, unacceptable. It did not have to be this way, unquote. In her message to the grassroots, Maddox thanked Representative Matt Hall, a Republican from Emmett Township near Battle Creek, for having the guts to take on the Democrats' cheaters and their friends in the media by bringing in the president's attorney and the witnesses exposed the wrongdoing, unquote. Let's turn to another subject, and that is coronavirus. Robert Gordon, the director of the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services under Gretchen Whitmer, said this morning, uh, actually earlier in the week, He told a joint committee on the COVID-19 pandemic, and I'm quoting here, whenever people gather indoors for hours without consistent mask wearing or distancing, quote, there is a good chance disease and death will follow, unquote. 
Gordon was appearing to defend his pre-Thanksgiving orders for a three-week pause for in-classroom instruction in high schools, as well as closing bars and indoor dining, bowling alleys, ice rinks, casinos, and group fitness. Quoting from Murs here again, Gordon used the example of a Maine, that is state of Maine, wedding reception for 55 people in August that led to 177 cases of COVID-19 and seven deaths. Gordon told the select committee this week, quote, the most striking difference between Maine in August and Michigan now is that we have considerably more COVID. It is estimated that 360,000 of our fellow residents are currently infected, unquote. Gordon also mentioned a Jackson couple together for 50 years who, quote, relaxed their COVID-19 stance and died from it. Gordon continued, quote, a vaccine is coming and by spring things will be better. Between now and then, the decisions that we make and in particular our willingness to avoid unmasked indoor gatherings, those decisions will determine whether thousands of Michiganders will survive, unquote. He was asked, are you going to mandate that everybody be given a vaccine? And Gordon answered with a simple no. But he got some pushback on that from committee members. So let's see how that plays out. And we're going to be back in a minute with our first guest. So don't go away. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we have on the line with us a very interesting guest. He is Steve Cara. He is the state representative-elect in the 59th House District. He's a Republican from Three Rivers. The 59th House District includes, if I'm not mistaken, the city of Dowagiac and 12 townships in Cass and St. Joseph counties. Is that correct, Steve Cara? Yeah, thanks for having me, Bill. Glad to have you on the line. Well, you had, I believe, four Republican opponents in the primary in August. You are being preceded when you come into office in January by Aaron Miller, who pulled off an upset six years ago in a primary down there. And I think you had a lot of strong opponents in this race and you prevailed uh, just like Aaron Miller did six years ago. Uh, You blew past them. Tell us uh, what is your background leading up to your campaign this year? And what did you do to be so successful in August and again in November in the general election? I have degrees in economics and political science from Western Michigan University, and I had spent some time as a research assistant at Acton Institute. It's a Christian-based free market think tank in Grand Rapids focused on connecting good intentions with sound economics. And I've worked for the last three years for State Representative Steve Johnson, who was ranked Michigan's number one most conservative state representative by MERS News in 2019. So that's the resume that I had that I think resonated with the community. I knocked on 16,000 doors in the primary. So in terms of how I got through the primary with a lot of tough opponents, I was 
knock on the doors, talking to people, getting to know them, and them getting to know me. 16,000 doors. I mean, that is incredible, particularly this year. And, you know, maybe that was the real secret of your success because a lot of candidates were afraid to go door to door, or if they tried to, they got resistance from people they met at the doors. But you said, hey, I'm going to take advantage of this. If nobody else is doing it, I'm going to do it. And, boy, did it work out. I mean, what kind of an experience was it going door to door? Was it any different than you saw in the past when, let's say, you work for Representative Johnson uh, and he did door to door? I mean, was the reaction of people different this year or was it the same? The vast majority of people were very accepting of somebody at their door, just you know, doing doing your best to not touch handles more than you have to, knock on the door, not touching the handle, backing up a few feet, reaching and extending your arm out, handing them your literature, and, and keeping back a few feet. Certainly left people comfortable at the door for the, for the majority of the time. But sometimes, you know, you might have a rare occasion, maybe one a day, one every two days, of people who voiced their displeasure with, you know, having somebody at their door. But the majority of people were very happy to see somebody, to talk to somebody, to see that, you know, the candidate took the time themselves to go and talk to them. From what you could tell, did any of your opponents go door to door? Uh, certainly, I'm sure they didn't knock on 16,000 doors, but were any of them even trying? A couple of them did a little bit, but nowhere near as much. I would guess maybe a thousand doors, maybe two thousand. It and I, I can't know. We'd have to ask them how many doors they did, but it was nowhere near sixteen thousand. What about spending in the race? I mean, do you have any estimate how much money you spent uh, or was spent on your behalf in the primary uh, to win this nomination? One of my opponents spent about twice as much as I did. He spent around fifty-two thousand. I spent twenty-six thousand, and there were a couple in the low ten thousand to fifteen thousand range, and then the last one was around seven thousand dollars. So I spent the second most, and definitely knocked on the most doors. Yeah, let me ask you: when you went around knocking on doors, I mean, were you able to pick up comments from the residents about? the issues that they really felt strongly about. I mean, how alarmed were they about the coronavirus? What about the economy of the state? Other issues that they might have been concerned about. What did you hear? Coronavirus was a big topic as it relates to businesses shutting down and unconstitutional executive orders, unilateral decision-making, people realizing that they're adults and if they want to have a consenting life decision, like getting their hair cut or going out to eat. If it's their choice and they want to go, they they feel that they can make their decisions as adults. And so the general idea of government promoting the general welfare and saying, hey, you know, we recommend you not do this, or we recommend you not, you know, spend time with family or go to the restaurant or get your hair cut, and promoting the general welfare is something that I think would resonate far more with the people from the district than unilateral mandates and trying to control our lives. Having worked for a state representative and following state government as you have, where do you think we are in this process right now uh, with Governor Gretchen Whitmer still utilizing, in this case now, the director of the Department of Health and Human Services to kind of end run the Supreme Court decision that she didn't have the power to do what she did in the first place, 
uh, to get what she feels is the job that has to be done, and that is somehow ratcheting down the coronavirus by lockdowns and mask wearing and everything else. And what can be done going forward as you see it? You're an incoming member. You're going to have to fight this fight beginning in January with all your colleagues in the legislature and the governor. Where do you see this going right now? I've definitely already joined the fight as much as I can by this point already. But definitely, you know, coming in January, I'll be in a different position. But she's on even thinner legal footing working through her department head at the Department of Health and Human Services. Yes, she's already lost with the Michigan Supreme Court with her doing it directly, but now working through DHHS with a statute that says that the director may prohibit the gathering of people for any purpose as long as he deems that an epidemic exists. So he says an epidemic exists. And then within the scope of that plain text would say that that individual and prohibit a man from seeking shelter with his wife or his kids at night. It may prohibit the gathering of people for any purpose. That scope is so broad. It was passed by the legislature and signed by the governor in 1978, but that doesn't mean it's constitutional. And so if it's part of a long public act and they made a mistake back then, you know, it's understandable. People make mistakes, even legislators and governors do. But to apply that specific statute from that public act is a an egregious and blatantly obvious disregard for the, the Constitution and our basic fundamental rights. It's, it's astonishing it needs to work through the courts, and, and I think it's unacceptable, personally. Right now, we are waiting to hear, maybe it will have happened just minutes before we're on the air, uh, late in the week, uh, from Robert Gordon, the director of the Health and Human Services Department and Governor Whitmer, whether she'll accept the order passed December 8th. Do you think that should be done? Definitely do not think that it should be done, and they'll be, they'll be getting an even harder time the longer they push this. And, and, and what do they get, a slap on the wrist? Michigan Supreme Court says she's wrong, and we still press on. Like At some point, somebody needs to be held accountable for blatantly disregarding the Constitution. Okay, Steve Carr, you've given us a good sum up of your background, what you did to get elected. I know you're filled with excitement about becoming a new member of the State House of Representatives in January. Good luck to you, Steve Carr, Republican of Three Rivers, will represent the 59th House District. Thank you, Steve Carr. Hey, thanks for having me on, Bill. We'll be back in a minute with another guest. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned and we have on the line with us Fritz Erickson, who is president of Northern Michigan University. And uh, Northern Michigan University completed the full fall 2020 semester with in-person face-to-face classes Although many other colleges and universities had to go to online classes, NMU, the Wildcats, created and implemented a plan that allowed them to complete the semester, giving students the type of instruction they preferred. And I think there are lessons to be learned from what Northern Michigan did. So welcome, Fritz Erickson, president of Northern Michigan University. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate uh, the opportunity to chat. Well, 
tell us uh, how you went about this. How did you pull this off, and how were you able to make this successful? Well, we actually began planning for this two days after we all went remote in March and put together 10 uh, comprehensive teams on our campus to look at everything that we do, whether it's residence halls or dining or rec services, and certainly all the classes, um, both from a facility standpoint, but also from an instructional delivery standpoint, and uh, really made the commitment early on that we were going to do everything we could to accommodate student needs, faculty needs, and so forth, and offer as much face-to-face as we, we could possibly do. And so lots of planning. Um, two critical decisions we made early on. One was we uh, decided we were going to test everybody. Uh, if you were a faculty member, a staff member, a student, uh, if you were, you know, like our uh, Christian Ministries Association, the churches, a number of those folks got tested. Um, and that gave us a great foundation to start with. So we did that. And the other thing we did is we started early so we could end well before uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, we didn't want people coming here, going home, and then coming back up. And that proved to be a really, uh, really useful decision for us. There are 15 public uh, colleges and universities in Michigan. Uh, are you the only one, as far as you know, who proceeded as you did? No, I think there, there, there are certainly others uh, that did that. Well, one of the things that, that I really love about Michigan public higher education is we have 15 uh, distinctive universities. And what we do is, is often different from what other people do. And it's not a better or worse. It's just given our situation. You know, I, I'm standing in my office overlooking north, overlooking Lake Superior. Um, so I don't have to worry about COVID coming in from the north. <laughs> you know, so, you know, every university needed to do what they needed to do. And uh, I've been frankly really impressed by the other universities managing their unique circumstance. You know, the fact, again, that we are in a pretty uh, pretty remote location um, and the, the fact that we have students that come and stay and people don't run home on the weekends uh, gave us opportunities to do things that I don't think every university had. President Erickson, uh, the governor, as you know, issued executive orders earlier in this year, and now the Department of Health and Human Services is trying to put forward those same uh, orders in another way, uh, given the Supreme Court decision that what Governor Whitmer did was unconstitutional. Let me ask you, did you legally worry at all about conforming with what the governor and or the state health department uh, expected from universities or does nope. the clause in the Constitution that gives you autonomy, as you pointed out, uh, give you license to kind of do what you need to do? Well, we've always felt that uh, that it was really important for us to follow state guidelines um, and have appreciated the, the, uh, the work and support um, from the governor's office and from other uh, entities in Lansing. And so... You know, we were right at the end of the semester 
when the the uh, the directives from the health department uh, uh, came forward, and so we were really prepared to be able to just manage right on through that. We let some students that uh, you know uh, bailed out a little bit early were able to do you know the last bit of exams because we were heading into finals at the time that you know I think we had a four day overlap with that. So we managed to be able to do both, uh, to be able to to follow the directives and still be able to to be uh, predominantly um, face to face when we needed to be. I'm talking to President Fritz Erickson of Northern Michigan University, and as I understand it, uh, NMU is preparing to provide the same face to face instruction during the winter semester, starting in mid January. You have created uh, also, I believe, a new $1,000 Transfer UP scholarship, you call it. Yep, that, that, that is what we did. Um, we've had a lot of requests from folks that want to transfer uh, uh, to us, and we wanted to make that as you know, affordable and easy as uh, possible. You know, we're, we, we still are the second lowest tuition in the state. And uh, but the more we can do to help families in these difficult times, the more we the more we want to do. And uh, yeah, we are we're working on. We've gone through now all. We've done a comprehensive review of this last semester, setting up for winter semester. We're going to start a week later. Uh, we're not going to have spring break. Uh, I'm not sure who's who's more sad about that, the students or the faculty, but. <laughs> We don't we don't want a situation where students come and then they, you know, go to Cancun or something and then come back. So we'll we'll we're going to bake in some special days off and so forth. And you know, we maybe have a little bit more liberal view of what a snow day is uh, this next semester. <laughs> um, so you know, uh, we've got some excellent plans in place. We will once again test everybody when they. When they come back, or provide the opportunity to get tested before they come back, um, and still be able to move forward. One of the best things that we did. I mean, we have amazing faculty that are really creative. So we had a lot of faculty that said, you know, you can only have half your class face to face at any one time. So they would teach their class and then Zoom at exactly the same time. And so students, if you, we didn't want anybody that was you know, not feeling well to come to class, but we wanted them to be able to continue uh, with the class. And so we had students um, zooming in at the same time. Other students were face-to-face and flipping things around, and uh, faculty were really doing stuff creatively with their classrooms and really rethinking how they deliver instruction. It was really kind of an exciting thing to watch. President Erickson, uh one entity we shouldn't forget is your board of trustees. You really had a fully engaged board of trustees. They had to back you up uh, and support what you were doing, right? Yeah, the, our, our board has been outstanding. And, uh, you know, when we uh, launched back in March, we had we were meeting with our board almost every day to make sure they were aware of what we were doing and looking for their input guidance and and throughout the whole process, we kept them very engaged. We were also very committed to being open and transparent about everything. 
we 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 were very aggressive in communications, not only to our board but to all of our faculty, staff, and community. You know, when you live in a relatively small, tight knit community, everybody wants to know, and we wanted to make sure that we were communicating everything that we were doing. And I think that was a big help for us along the way as well. I'm. I'm intrigued by this transfer UP winner award scholarship, and you described it briefly. I'd like to talk about it more, but believe it or not, we're out of time. I could go on and on here asking questions of President Fritz Erickson of Northern Michigan University, who's done an amazing job up there in providing face-to-face instruction. Well, I sure, sure appreciate that, Bill. Thank you so much, President Erickson. Well, thank you. We'll be back in a minute. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We are back, and we have on the line with us Jamie Rowe, who's a partner with Grand River Strategies. His partner is... Stu Sandler, and they're a political consulting firm, very prominent, uh, have lots of clients on the Republican side of the ledger. And Jamie Rowe, I believe, lives in Macomb Township in Macomb County, and he's not in the 8th Senate District, which is now inhabited, shall we put it, by Peter Lucido. He's the incumbent state senator there, but He has just been elected Macomb County prosecuting attorney in the November 3rd election. So he's going to have to resign his seat in the state Senate after he takes office. I believe it's on January 1st. And there's going to have to be a special election to fill that seat. We don't know when that might be held. And maybe Jamie Rowe can give us his estimate. But Jamie Rowe, welcome to the Political Insider. Thank you, Bill. Uh, it's wonderful to be here and uh, to share our, our, our thoughts from down here in the uh, center of the universe, as my old boss, Candace Miller, used to, used to call Macomb County. They like to put us in a Petri dish every couple of years to uh, analyze uh, what, what we're thinking and, and, and how we impact the political world, and it's always fun, as uh, evidenced by our great uh, state senator, Pete Lucido, who now are soon to be our county prosecutor here in Macomb County. It's it's causing quite a quite a stir down here. I don't think any county can match Macomb County for political excitement over the years. Always something going on. Let me ask you, uh, what is going to happen when a special election is held? Who do you see as possible candidates in that race? And by the way, that district includes, I believe, Mount Clemens, St. Clair Shores, Utica, and five townships in the village of Gross Point Shores in uh, northeastern, I would describe it mainly, uh, or eastern Macomb County. Yeah, it's it's an interesting district. It's, it goes from the, uh, the northwest corner of the county, uh, Shelby Township, Washington Township, Bruce Township, across the northern tier and then down the uh, uh eastern shore of uh, Lake St. Clair, all the way down to St. Clair Shore. So it sort of circles the eastern border to the to the western part. It's uh, dominated, I would say, in the Republican primary by Shelby Township, which would be the biggest single community in, in the district and very Republican 
community. Um, currently, Pete Lucido is from Shelby Township, um, and that would be sort of the, the, the political center of it in the in the primary, uh, which would, I, I think would bring a Doug Wozniak, State Rep. Doug Wozniak, to the top of the list of potential candidates. Um, Pam Hornberger, who lives in Chesterfield, State Rep. Pam Hornberger, who lives in Chesterfield Township, I think he's just going to be a uh, potentially a, a very strong candidate uh, for for this seat. Uh, Steve Marino lives in Harrison Township. State Rep. Steve Marino could be a potentially strong candidate. He represents both uh, Harrison, I believe, and Sinclair Shores. Um, so th- those I would think would be the top candidates uh, in in the race. Uh, typically, I would have put uh, uh, Tony Forlini in there also, but Tony just got elected our county clerk, so I don't expect that he will be leaving that job in in, in order to, to run for uh, state senate. But we have no lack of very strong candidates. One thing I think that we can say is that it will stay in Republican hands. Okay. What is about a 55 to 60 percent Republican district, would you say? I would say it's more than it's a, it's an overwhelmingly Republican seat that I, I think is at no risk of turning over to the Democrats. Okay, well, looking on a little wider landscape, um, there's an upcoming battle, apparently, uh, if it manifests itself, for state Republican chairman at a convention early next year, a state convention. I don't know whether that's probably going to have to be virtual again or not. I don't know how they're going to handle it. But the current chair, Laura Cox, has said she's running for re-election, but she's now getting a challenge from, surprise, surprise, Ron Weiser, who has been chairman twice before, and he says, I want to come back and be chairman again, and I've got as my running mate, Mishon Maddock, who is an activist, uh, particularly on behalf of Donald Trump, and she's the wife of State Representative Matt Maddock uh, from Oakland County. Uh, how do you see that shaping up? Well, I, I support Laura Cox. I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you uh, straight up that, that I support Laura Cox uh, for re-election in this race. I think Laura did an outstanding job uh, this year with the uh, uh, leading our state party. We had a record amount of money that came into the state and was spent on behalf of our candidates. Uh, even though we lost at the top of the ticket in, in the face of an avalanche of Democrat um, money, we were able to maintain our majority uh, in the state House of Representatives. We added seats to our statewide education board, which is something when Ron Weiser was chairman um, in, in 2018, we didn't win a single uh, education board uh, seat in the state. We got decimated at the top of the ticket, and the party was left in debt. So, you know, I, 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 I I'm, I'm not quite sure. I mean, Ron Weiser's a great guy, former ambassador, and and uh, someone who's been an asset to the party over the years. But uh, quite honestly, with how he performed in his last go round as chairman, I, I, I can't understand why anybody would want to put him back in for another two years. When we're facing a, a, a real battle in the next election to take on Governor Whitmer. Last time he was chairman of the party, when we the first time we faced Gretchen Whitmer, and we got decimated uh, in that race. And um, when I said, I, I I don't think he earned another another chance to take her on. Well, talking about that, if Gretchen Whitmer runs for reelection in 2022, which right now most people expect will be the case, uh, that you've got a 
potential candidate there, I would think, in Macomb County, Candace Miller, former Secretary of State, former member of Congress, now the head of your public works department, knocked off a Democratic incumbent in 2016, was reelected this past November. I mean, she has been mentioned many times before, going back two decades as a possible candidate for governor. She's never pulled the trigger. Might she do it this time? She might. And, you know, my former boss, uh, I I had the honor to spend almost 20 years working for um, directly for uh, Candace Miller, both in the Michigan Department of State, uh, as the chief of staff in in Washington, D.C., in the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, For the last couple of times, it's been the honor of being her campaign consultant when she took out Tony Morocco. Uh, for uh, Macomb Public Works Commissioner and her re-election campaign this year. Um, if Candace Miller runs, I'm on the team, with, without question. And I think that we could find no stronger candidate as a uh, Republican Party than Candace Miller. She is the ultimate in uh, being a public servant. Um, she is somebody who, you know, she ran against Tony Morocco, is now on his way to becoming a a permanent guest of the government um, here in, in, in federal prison, uh, she ran on a platform of uh, clean water and clean government. And that's exactly what she delivers as our uh, public works commissioner. In, in the U.S. House of Representatives, there was no more tenacious fighter for uh, Macomb County in the thumb and in Michigan, quite frankly, than Candace Miller. She, uh, I just I, I love her to death, and I, I think the world of her. I respect her like crazy, and if she runs, we, we, we should all be hoping as Republicans that she does run. And I think that if she were to take on Governor Whitmer, you would see Governor Whitmer would see a spirited campaign like, like she's never seen before because Candace Miller is strong and she's tenacious, and uh, uh, I, I, I think she would win. And well, you let know, me, Jamie Rowe, yeah. let, me, let me just ask you, I mean, everything you say about Candace Miller, I think, has been said before, going back 20 years. But the point is, she's never run. I mean, I know she had family factors. Uh, her husband uh, was ailing uh, part of this time. Uh, he is now, unfortunately, deceased. And uh, I don't know whether that changes anything for her or, or what. I mean, what could compel her to run this time where she didn't before? Um, the same thing I think that has always compelled her to run. Now, when she retired from Congress in 2015, um, I think that she, she made the decision she wasn't going to run again in 2015. And uh, I think she had believed her husband was sick at the time, and I think that she at that point in time was ready to and her career in public service until she saw a need. And that need was we had this corrupt figure named Tony Morocco uh, at the head of our public works department that, that is responsible for um, uh, delivering clean water, protecting our Great Lakes, which is something that's always been very, very high on her agenda of priorities. And she saw a need for someone like her to go in there and bring the change that our community needed. Now, if she believes that she can offer similar type of change like that to our state, I think that she would be willing to step up and do it. And now she doesn't. Like you said, she does not have the uh, issue of her husband who was ailing at home and, and could she'll take be, up that she'll be in the and middle. I sure hope she does. Yeah, and she'll be in the middle of her term, too, as uh, Water yeah. Resources Commissioner. So even if she lost for governor, she'd still be Water Resources Commissioner. 
I wish we could talk about this more, but we're out of time. But you've done a great job of summing things up on three different fronts. Thank you so much, Jamie Rowe of Grand River Strategies, for being our guest. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having us. We'll be back next week with still more.